Hey, listeners of the Sweat Elite podcast, Matt here. Thanks again for tuning in. If you've ever been interested in traveling overseas to do a training camp, especially at high altitude, then this episode is for you. If you've been interested in going to Africa and especially Ethiopia, then this episode is definitely for you because myself and my colleague Tate went to Ethiopia earlier this year in January 2019 and we spent a month training there alongside Kennedy Sabakili's training group. And in this episode, we cover all the information about what that was like. We answer guest questions such as comparing training in Kenya with Ethiopia, the cost of training in Ethiopia, accommodation costs, transport, what sort of uh, cost day to day in terms of meals, uh, the best places to stay. And then we even go into more details about what it was like training with Kennedy Sabakili's training group. Even though he was injured at the time, we obviously got a good understanding of his training program and we spent a lot of time with the coach. So we talk a lot about that. So that's coming up in a few minutes. But before that, huge thanks to all of the listeners of the last few episodes that we've published since we've relaunched the podcast a few weeks ago. We've passed well, well, well over 10,000 downloads of the episodes, uh, closer to 20, which is huge. So I really appreciate those people that have tuned in. And especially thanks to the subscribers that have joined on in the last few weeks who are accessing the full episodes. Of course, if you're not a subscriber, you can access the first roughly half of the episodes on all the major podcast apps, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and so on. And if you're a subscriber, you can listen to the whole episode on our website, as well as access all of the 450 plus articles about elite running training. Just a reminder that does cost one US dollar per week, built in three month increments of 13 US dollars for 13 weeks. Cost of a coffee every two or three weeks, very cheap if you put it that way, put it in perspective. And if you're interested in learning more about the training of all the elite runners around the world, including things like these episodes about training in Ethiopia, training in Kenya, um, then that should be a decent investment for you to subscribe. You can do so on our website. And there's also links below in some of the podcast players, although I've been told that some of the podcast players don't allow hyperlinks. So you have to go to our, web- our website, sweatelite.co. Uh, before we go to the episode about Ethiopia, uh, last call for those interested in training in Kenya in January this year. So Sweat Elite are holding its fourth Kenya training, running training experience from January the 5th to the 18th. It's a 13-night, 14-day experience, including accommodation, all meals, elite athlete meetups, uh, coaching seminars. Uh, there's also coaching included every single day um, taken by myself. Uh, transfers from the airport, and it's basically an all-inclusive um, training camp for two weeks. And if you're interested in doing that, we've got a couple of spaces left. Also, uh, you can find the information to that at our website. If you go to the menu, you'll find the Kenya running experience in there. We have a few, I'm actually recording this podcast episode from New York. New York marathon is happening in two days. Uh, I myself, a couple of questions actually from people, uh, since the last episode about my own running, I'm a recreational runner still I ran 235 at the Berlin marathon. I'm shooting for a sub 230 by the end of this year. I used to be a middle distance runner, but I'm sort of just keeping in the game a little bit with the longer distance, uh, events now. And, uh, New York marathon for me is uh, a training run. I probably will do 30 to 35 K at about four minutes per K, but enough about that. Uh, I'm actually here to obviously, um, cover some of the elite athletes here, uh, and uh, I'm doing a few podcast episodes with some interesting guests from here as well, including one data scientist who's created a very interesting application about stress and training relation, and also an athlete manager from Kenya who manages quite a few of the top Kenyan, especially ladies. So I'll be recording them the next few days and releasing them next week. 
Again, thanks for listening into the previous episodes, and I hope you enjoy this one about training in Ethiopia with myself and my colleague Tate Herps, who, by the way, is the main writer for Sweat Elite, who has written over half of the articles, well over half of the articles on the Sweat Elite website. He's a medicine student from the Gold Coast, Australia, where I'm also from, decent runner himself, sub three-hour marathoner a few times, and we talk about training all things training in Ethiopia. Hope you enjoy it. Matt here from Sweat Elite, recording another podcast episode all about training in Ethiopia today. And on a Skype call, I have Tate Herps, who's calling in from Australia, who actually joined me in Ethiopia earlier this year. Thanks for thanks for joining, Tate. No, hey Matt, pleasure pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, so uh, apologies about the audio quality. Uh, Tate's obviously in, in Australia, so we're doing this over the over the internet, but um, I feel like we have plenty of things to talk about today on the podcast about training in Ethiopia. Um, as I said, we were there earlier this year in January, so January 2019, and we spent almost a month there and were fortunate enough to do some training with Kennedy Sibakili's training group, although he was injured at the time. We got to spend quite a bit of time with the group and the coach, and also we uh, we, we partly joined in on some training sessions with the Dababa sisters as well, uh, they were doing some training sessions very close to where we were actually staying, just outside of Addis Ababa. Um, so, uh, and actually Tate, who's joining me on the line, has written more or less all of the articles on the Sweat Elite website about the training in Ethiopia. So uh, again, thanks for joining Tate. And I think I think we can get st- stuck straight into the, the first question that was submitted to us about training in Ethiopia, which is a good one. And it was, uh, please compare the training in Kenya and Ethiopia. So I'll let you get started with that because you had some good points that you spoke about uh, just before we started this this recording. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, obviously both experiences were very, very interesting and we spent quite a bit of time in Kenya as well. So it was cool to see the differences uh, in the culture and also the training in both countries. Uh, one thing that really jumped out to me uh, was when you're in Kenya, there's so many really, really large groups um, in workouts, but also just in the easy runs. You know, you'll be around Iten and you'll see these big packs of guys, like 30 guys just cruising through town, all running together um, just on their easy aerobic recovery runs. Whereas in Ethiopia, there was definitely you know, some large groups doing their workout sessions all together. And we... We'll speak more about the workouts that we joined in on and our experiences with those groups. But a lot of the training that they were doing on their easy days and their uh, recovery runs was very independent, quite solo. Um, you know, guys going off on these runs just through the forest surrounding Salalta by themselves. Um, and apparently, I mean, other members of the groups that we were with who live over in Addis will go on their easy runs by themselves. Hmm. Uh, which was quite an interesting difference, just a different dynamic. Yeah, for sure. Certainly noticed that as well. Of course, we did a lot of running together and quite often, as you just said, we were out out on the on the trails or at the satellite fields, which we'll talk about in a moment, one of the most popular places to train in um, in, in Ethiopia or in Salulta uh, in Ethiopia. And we'd often see just individual runners just running around. I mean, we did see a few big groups, but it was nowhere near the, sh- the quantity of, of groups in that we would see in Iten in Kenya. Yeah. Yeah. But I think 
if you talk more specifically about the really elite groups in Ethiopia, they're quite similar. Um, both Kenanisa Bikili's training group and the Dababa sisters training groups, they both had, what do you, what, what would you say? 20 to 25 athletes. Yeah, both. around those numbers. Yeah. And I guess that's pretty similar to the, to the elite training groups in, in Kenya. Although saying that Kipchoge's groups probably got a, a, a little bit more than that, but, um, in general, the size of the, yeah, the sheer quantity of training groups was, was obviously less in, in Ethiopia. I think another point that you mentioned was, um, was the terrain as well in Ethiopia. So I guess you'd be yeah. probably good to speak a bit about that. I mean, just, just going back for a second, what you mentioned there was that uh, Kipchoge's group was a bit bigger or similar size. But one thing that I'm just realizing now is in Kenya, there was so many of the, I mean, we they called themselves outsiders who aren't really a part of the group, but would just show up and try and do the sessions with the group. Yes. So some of the workout runs that Kipchoge, this group would do, starting at Global Camp in Kaptegat, you know, there'd be however many, 20 or so guys from the group who were doing that, and then that number again who were just living in the area and trying to keep up. True, Whereas good I point. I didn't really notice that so much in Ethiopia. That's a good point that I it kind of slipped my mind then when we were, when we were talking about that. Yeah, you're right. Um, you've written a very good article about that called outsiders on the sweat elite website um and yeah in ethiopia i didn't see that so much either it was just really the core group and and no one trying to hang on <laughs> to the back for yeah life, and so. I, I guess those the the you know slightly lower level athletes in ethiopia who are still amazing athletes and um can run amazing times they seem to be a lot of the athletes who are out doing these solo workouts rather than just jumping in with groups like they were in Kenya. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, the terrain you mentioned. Yeah. I, uh, I thought we, it was much more challenging in, in Ethiopia. For sure. For sure. I mean, it's, it's higher up for a start. So that makes any terrain more difficult. To <laughs> True. Um, it's so Salalta is between 27 and 2,800 meters above sea level mm -hmm. compared to Itan and Kaptegat, which were more like 2,300, I think. Just um, quickly, so just up. quickly Googling this for the, for the Americans, that's around 9,000 feet. <laughs> uh, for Salalta. For Salalta yeah. in Ethiopia. And sorry if we haven't mentioned, Salalta is the main place where people go to train in Ethiopia. And it's the, it's the place where Mo Farah's training group go to train. So we probably should just go over this, but just quickly, uh, it's where Haley Gebra Selassie um, used to train and he has his own uh, hotel sort of resort there. And Bikili's group also train there. Now there's a few other places in Ethiopia where you can train and Tate will talk a little bit more about that um, soon because he went to a couple of hotspots. But at the moment we're talking about Salulta, which is situated about half an hour to 40 minutes drive north of Addis Ababa, the capital. So, so that's at about 9,000 feet, 2,700 to 2,800 meters elevation, uh, yeah. comparing with Iten in Kenya, which is more like 23, 2,400 meters elevation, which is uh, 2,300 in feet is about 7,500 feet. Yeah. And just for reference, Addis Ababa is the capital of Ethiopia, which is over, it's actually sort of inside a, um, bowl of mountains and so to get up to Salalta you have to go up over the range um, which is you know the hills are covered in these pine forests and then you go back down the other side and down to Salalta mm. 
um, but it's significantly higher than Addis. Yes. Addis is at uh, closer to 2,000 metres elevation from, from memory, maybe slightly over. Higher. It's, yeah, about 2,300. Okay, so, so, I think. so similar to, to E10. Yeah. 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 Um, but, yeah, so the, the terrain in Ethiopia seemed to be a lot more challenging Mm-hmm. Then Kenya, Kenya had, you know, it's it's a, uh, the the highlands in the west of the country where Iten and Kaptagat are. They're up above the Rift Valley, and it's just this big plateau with lots of fields. So you, when we were training with the groups there, you're running through cornfields, and it's you know there's rolling hills, but generally it's a bit flatter. Whereas, and it's also more open. Whereas in Ethiopia, uh, it was. Yeah, quite hilly and a lot, uh, a lot less open space. Uh, satellites was one of the training areas where they would go for their faster tempo runs. Uh, it's just this big field, and there's a massive satellite in the middle of it, which is how it gets its name. Uh, but even that had, you know, quite rough footing, and I found it quite challenging to keep up a decent pace. Um, and then a lot of the areas around there, they're doing runs through the forest, so jumping over fallen sticks and ducking under branches and running up embankments, and it's really broken up and um, you know, short bursts of speed to try and get up these embankments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well, very well put. Um, yeah, exactly the same opinion here. I remember a couple of the easy runs we went on, especially at the start when we weren't sure of where the best trails were. Um, they were ve- they were very challenging. If you recall, I stopped a few times because I I couldn't. I had to <laughs> I had to stop and walk a couple of times, and um, because it was obviously the elevation was hurting hurting me a bit uh, coming from sea level, but um, also some of those hills were were huge and. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the satellites was a very, I think, was quite a good place to train. As you pointed out, the un- underfoot it was still slightly uneven, but you could do. Correct me if I'm, my memory serves me correctly. You could probably do about a two and a half to three kilometer loop around the outside of the fields. It was I a, think it was um, quite a bit longer than that, like yeah, okay. more, like five or six. We'll yeah, no, yeah, you actually. I think I think you're right. I mean, there was a couple of loops that you could do, but I think you're right if you go around the whole outside of the the area it's it's more like five or six k i think there was a shorter loop within it i did a few times but um yeah, yeah and, and that's relatively flat um a couple of small hills uh and yeah as you said that's where a lot of the groups do their sort of speed work because there's actually not too many other places in there that's that's even anywhere near flat so the other place that you can find a flat area to train which is where um mo Farah's group do a lot of work is just around the outside of kennedy sabikilo's track um, mm. which is in the middle of or very, very close to the centre of Salulta as well. There's sort of a uh, – so, so Kennedy's Bikilo's track is a, is a tartan track, very good condition, and around the outside of that there's about a 1 point something, 1.1 maybe kilometre loop that's, that's, that's half decent. And uh, I remember actually Farah telling us or, or one of the guys in Farah's group telling us that sometimes they, they just do laps around that as, as, as their recovery runs mm. um, if, they're, yeah. if they're tired and want to stick to the flat area. So – yeah, <clears throat> but I feel like both had a very similar um, uh, friendly welcoming from from the groups. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, we were very well received in both places, and 
it's always amazing to look back on and think how open all of the groups were to just having us rock up and jump in on any random session that was happening and yeah. um, have a chat to us. So that was a really cool aspect of it. Yeah, it, it, it is quite remarkable, really. I mean, and this this could likely happen to, to anyone that, that tried, but, uh, you know, I think I remember with uh, with DeBarber's group, the coach, what what, what was his? Ahmed. 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 He, we, yeah. we met him early on and he, he was, after that, he was like texting us, without us even asking, telling us when the trainings are and that we should yeah. come along. So, uh, yeah, trying to get us to come out for a beer and hang out. Like, yeah. Super, super friendly and welcoming. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, welcoming us to any of the sessions that we wanted to join in on. So I think yeah. that's one thing um, that I'd emphasize to people listening is how, you know, it's, it's such a, a cool thing to go over there and be – you know, just join with these groups and you don't need to organize it in advance. You really can just be welcomed into multiple groups and they're happy to have you there. Yeah. It's just really about, about showing up, isn't it? And saying hi and saying you want to join in. And if you, if you do that, you likely you'll, you'll be able to do whatever training that you want with, with more or less all of the groups. So yeah, 100%. yeah. I know that, uh, I know this, this, uh, podcast episode is about Ethiopia, but I know uh, Kipchoge's group has, has tightened up a little bit on, on their <laughs> on their uh, on their welcoming of people, I think, because of uh, uh, well, at least before Ineos, they, they were, were not, yeah, not letting anyone... Yeah, sure a lot of things were under wraps in the lead up to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess afterwards, maybe it's not a, not a, not a strict thing anymore, but uh, but yeah, so someone else actually submitted a question um, uh, which, is a, which is a good one, so, so we're just going through the questions at the moment asked on the on the Facebook uh, post yesterday. Um, someone asked, what does it cost to train in Ethiopia? Uh, and you pointed out very quickly when we went through the questions before this call that, well, uh, although it's quite similar throughout the country, there are a few different places that you can go. But at the moment, maybe we'll talk about uh, Salulta, which, as I said, is just outside of Addis Ababa. Um, so maybe you could talk about the two options that, that people could stay at, which we, we, we spent a bit of time at both. Yeah, so the, there's a few options there. I mean, we stayed a couple of weeks in a place called Hunde, uh, which um, oh, Haju, uh, who work, does some work with Mo Farah, he set us up there, and it was an awesome place. Um, you know, quite simple, very basic. It was about 15 US dollars a night, um, but had a garden out the front and meals were quite cheap and very generous portions, good food. Uh, I've really enjoyed our time there. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, like pretty bare bones. There's no, no real uh, facilities there, but it was cheap and it, it did the job. And then we did spend a bit of time at the end in Yaya Resort, which is the one you mentioned owned by Gebre Selassie. Mm-hmm. Um, so following his career in athletics, he's gone on to have quite a impressive uh, business career. He's got a bit of an empire, including car dealerships and a few different resorts around the country. So the one in uh, Salilta is called Yaya Africa Village and it has a track there, although it's gravel and a, a bit strangely shaped, uh, not, <laughs> not as good as Bikili's track. Um, and then, a, yeah, pool, gym, sauna, 
and the rooms are definitely a lot nicer, more spacious, and uh, it's a bit of a holiday village, I guess. Uh, people come in from Addis just to get away and enjoy the garden and hang out there. Yep. Uh, so it's a yeah beautiful spot. I think it was about sixty five US dollars per night for the rooms. Yeah. And then the meals in the restaurant. There's a lot. Uh, it's a much wider range compared to Hyundai, and it was a, a little bit more expensive, more like between three and eight dollars for a meal. Yeah. Whereas Hyundai was very cheap. It was more like one to three or one to four dollars for a meal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. US dollars this is, and yeah. So no, very good. Summary there, I mean, as you said, Hyundai had the bare basics. It was just basically uh, the room, no Wi-Fi there either. Um, but the restaurant below was very cheap and very good food. And then uh, it was about 500 metres away from Yaya, uh, both very central yeah. in Salulta, and Yaya had, yes. had the, the works. So Salulta is quite small and it's easy to get around just on foot between all of these places. Yeah. Um, another option that, you know, we met some people who were doing this, they were over there training and they were staying in Addis Ababa and, you know, there there's all options ranging from the dingiest little places for a few dollars a night to the Hilton or Intercontinental or wherever you want to stay. But it is a bit of a commute to get over the hill out to Salulta and the costs definitely add up if you're paying for a taxi each way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, running in Addis isn't so nice. No. There's a few places other than Salulta around Addis that you can access, but I definitely think that staying in Salulta would be the best bet. Yeah, absolutely. Addis did have that large uh, trail where the cross-country race was held. Mm, uh, Jean Meda That's right. That park. Yep. Uh, which was... Slightly to the east of the center. Yeah, quite nice, but the loop was probably only about a couple of k around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then between Salalta and Addis, there's also a mountain, a mountain called Entoto, which is more like three thousand or thirty one hundred meters, and they would go up there and do some loops and hill sprints every now and then. Yep. Um, yeah, so that's another training option. And then outside of Addison Salulta, there's a couple other options that are quite interesting. So I definitely recommend checking them out, but potentially um, not as good to base yourself there. But a couple other places where I went uh, outside of the period that we were in Salulta were in the south. Uh, Asella is about four or five hours from Addis, and I was there for the national championships. Um, the under-20 national championships. So that was pretty cool to see. And quite a lot of athletes are based down around that area. And quite close to there is Bekoji, uh, which is a small village. And that area is actually where a lot of the top athletes have come out of. So uh, the Dababa sisters and um, Gebre Selassie is from Asela, I believe. Uh, and I'm pretty sure Beckley is from the yeah. Koji area as well. I'm pretty sure Beckley so is too. Yeah. I, when I was down there, I trained with uh, Sintayehu is the coach's name, quite yeah. difficult to pronounce. Um, and he's got a pretty strong squad down there. 
it's really cheap to stay down there. Everything's very low key. There's not many resources available, but it's yeah interesting to see another side of Ethiopia and get out of the main area around Addis. For sure. Um, and then you know there's plenty of towns up in Amara and Tigray where there were also groups training. So I met some athletes around Mekele, which is in the northeast of the country. And um, yeah, there's lots of other places where you can go and find groups who will be training at quite a high level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you did that solo, uh, but I remember you being on a call to me shortly after saying, especially Bikoji was quite a, quite a good experience. Mm. Yeah, really yeah. interesting. Um, it's quite high up as well, and it's how, down how in the high south is, of the country. Do you remember how high Pukoji is? I think it's twenty-eight or twenty-nine hundred. Okay. Um, so just that little bit above Salalta, and you know it's down in the south near Hawassa and then the Bali Mountains. So there's definitely some you know, cool things to check out whilst being down in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a really good time exploring around there. Yeah. Awesome. Good answer. Uh, another question which we pretty much just answered, but we can just clarify a little bit further. Um, someone else asked the question, best place to stay in Ethiopia for training? So I guess we, we more or less covered that just then. But I think in my opinion, well, saying I didn't I didn't go to Bikoji, but most people do train in Salulta. Um, obviously much easier to get to than any, any other place because it's so close to the capital city. It's, uh, as I said, about half an hour north of Addis Ababa, probably 40 to 50 minutes from the airport. Uh, and we both recommend, as just stated, um, Hyundai, H-U-N-D-E Resort. Um, I don't know if you can book it online. It seemed like it was uh, pretty disconnected from <laughs> from technology. Yeah. But uh, by turning up, uh, you, you'll, you'll certainly be able to uh, get yourself a room there. And Yaya, both very good places to stay. Um, Yaya's rooms were also, although Hyundai's were completely fine, Yaya's, you know, the beds were a little newer. Uh, you know, the bathrooms were a little newer. It, it did seem like uh, almost like a three and a half to four star standard Western hotel in the rooms. Um, yeah, whereas, definitely whereas, nicer there, but, you know, there's, there wasn't anything wrong with Hyundai. It was just basic. Yeah. And as you pointed out as well, Yaya included Wi-Fi, which in some areas was 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 working pretty well, um, and a pool, a gym. The gym's quite good. Uh, pool, from memory, is twenty five meters uh, sufficient to do any pool running or swimming. I think if you if you want to, and then the dirt track, basically just at the front, which is uh, about four hundred meters around, maybe slightly less. Um, yeah. Um, on that note, I just add a couple things to, in terms of cost, uh, and also we were just, you mentioned Wi-Fi. So mobile SIM cards and, and data can be purchased quite cheaply, and I found that it was generally quite fast. Um, we didn't have too many issues there. I think did you pay roughly thirty US dollars? Yeah, from memory, I paid about thirty US dollars for 10, 10 gig, which which will last anyone. Uh, what almost a month, yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then another cost to factor in was uh, access to Bikili's track, yes. So that cost a hundred. Um, oh, it's been a little while since we were there. What's the currency? 
Jeez, uh, <laughs> we've, we've been to quite a few places now, so we uh, yeah. we, we so get we'll, mixed we'll up. We'll say it was about uh, seven it's the, US dollars. Yeah, Ethiopian per. Um, it was about yeah. it was about yeah about seven to ten dollars. Although they were a little bit selective about some people, they didn't they didn't mind if they didn't pay. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I think you should budget for that if you're if you're actually setting a proper budget that you you do have to pay for that track. Uh, and worth it. Very good track. Uh, just as good yeah. as a track you would find in, in Europe, US, Australia. Um, quality was, was very good. Uh, and yeah, as I said before, trail around the outside of it as well. If you wanted to do longer repeats in that area, uh, that's also inside the sort of the track arena, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah, 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 no good, good answer. Um, cool. Should we move on? Yeah. Uh, okay. So the next question someone asked is, is more specific to, to the training that we witnessed, that we observed, sorry. And what kind of intensity does Bikili do his easy runs? So as already pointed out at the start, we, Bikili was unfortunately injured when we were there. So we didn't, he didn't actually join in on any of the training sessions, but of course all of his training partners were, were training very hard and, and, and they were um, obviously not, probably not quite as fit as he has been, but, but some of them were, were doing some very impressive training sessions and, and uh, we, we, we didn't actually uh, join in on many of their easy runs, but we did make quite good friends with a couple of guys from Greece that were training with them more or less full-time. And uh, we hung out with those guys uh, quite a bit, and they did mention that their easy runs were... It, it sounded like they were very similar to, to how you know Kipchoge's group would do them in Kenya and, and in that they would run them very purely to how they, how they felt. Uh, the first one or two kilometers would be very easy. So probably for Bikili, something like 4.30 to even five minutes per kilometer just to get warmed up. And then it would just be tick along, um, uh, keep the heart rate at somewhere around 70% of max, uh, very roughly, um, which for him up there would, would be guessing would probably be about 3.50 to four minutes per kilometer. Although, of course, it depends entirely on the, the, the terrain and how many hills are included. But um, it sounded like... Uh, their training group are very similar. They don't do them too hard. They don't do them super slow either. Um, yeah, is that that's that's what you recall as well? Yeah, yeah. I would just add that. Um, interestingly, quite a lot of the athletes do some of their easy runs in the forest around Salilta, um, which I mentioned before. You know, there's sticks everywhere that you've got to jump over, and you're ducking branches, and it's um, you know, very broken up and hard to get a rhythm and very hilly so pace in those runs uh was generally quite slow you know mm. 5 30 or 5 minutes per k yeah um but and they'd just roam around the forest for over an hour just um cruising um it's yeah we actually i saw a hyena through there one morning yeah so that's <laughs> that right it's pretty cool yeah not 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 dangerous either are they unless they're in packs of many of them yeah, I, I don't think so. Um, but I think I, I think they meant someone mentioned that the the runners up there won't go out on a a run through the forest by themselves early or late, like early morning or late, just around sunset. Because you know if you do come across a bunch of hyenas, you're in a spot of bother. Yeah, I do remember that as well. Uh, on the point of pace in the forest, that. Brings to, that brings me back to a conversation I had with Zane Robinson, who was who was in Ethiopia at the time that we were there. Uh, 208 marathoner from New Zealand, 59, 40, 
7.43 half marathon, uh, 59.40 something half marathon. Uh, he mentioned that uh, some of his easy runs were about five minutes per kilometer at that uh, in that forest, and he did say that it was more like the effort of four minutes per kilometer. <laughs> Um, you know, at sea, yeah. at, sea level, at sea level or, uh, you know, on a flat surface. So it was significantly slower. So if you ever do see any training logs or, or Strava logs of people training in Ethiopia, especially in that area, um, yeah, I mean, some of the terrain is very, it's, it's very challenging and it can slow you down significantly. Um, but that's not to say it's not a, not a bad idea. Of course, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a good idea. These guys are, Sand Robinson and Bikili's group are doing a lot of the easy runs in that area too. It's just, it's just a little tough on the, on, on legs in terms of the pace, but it's obviously very good for 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 developing you know the smaller uh, muscles and so on because you're constantly having to twist and turn and and plant your feet in different different directions. So um, yeah, I mean, in terms of aerobic output that you're doing with a given well a given level of aerobic output, you're having a much lower impact when yes. you're running at those slower paces and changing directional type all the time, and that you know it's working on a lot of the stabilizing muscles yeah so it's a very valuable training tool i think yeah to be out there doing those runs yeah yeah sure so i hope that answers the the question and of course their their hard training sessions are uh are hard um i, I guess much like Bikili, uh sorry much like kipchoge they didn't seem to be going absolutely all out uh in any sessions but of course they were working working very hard in in all the sessions that we that we observed and we'll talk a little bit more about that in, in one of the final questions here. Um, but yeah, the question was, uh, what kind of intensity does he do his easy runs? And I guess we, we've answered that. So onto the next one, um, what is their motivation to keep on running at the moment that their body tells them to give up? Now, of course, this isn't re- relevant to, to just Ethiopia, but it's a good question and it's something that we've, uh, had to answer or, or at least I've answered before the people that have asked me in person, what does make, the I guess what does uh, what is the, the the motivation that the Africans have to, to push so hard in training because it, it is it is true, and I think that uh, I'll let you answer this one because you you elaborated quite well just before we started this this podcast recording but it's definitely to do with the circumstances of their general I guess their their general life. Yeah, so it's something that I've thought about quite a lot while we were in Kenya because yeah we were just around all these guys who were doing you know, such crazy sessions and devoting so much of their life to doing this and comparing it to what's going on back home in Australia and then other developed countries. You know, a lot of these guys are coming from very, very poor backgrounds. Uh, uh, they've moved from very rural villages to go to these training hubs and try and make a living. And the fa- I mean, there's, of course, other factors come into it, and I'm not saying that these guys aren't enjoying their training and everything, but you know, when it comes down to it, if an athlete from a poor village in Ethiopia or Kenya can train and get to a level where they're able to win a race in Europe or the States or somewhere where there's a decent amount of prize money, it, not even the top races, but just races where there's a good um, prize pool, they can earn you know, the equivalent of over a decade's wage in one day So and set themselves up really well and look after their family. So I think you know, there's many factors that come into play here, but that uh, financial motivation has to be a, a huge one. 
And when you look at the, the alternatives, uh, which for a lot of them would be working in a field or itinerant jobs just as they come up and working for a couple dollars a day. And you know, that plays a huge part in these guys being able to put themselves through a lot of pain day in, day out Absolutely. and not do that much else a lot of the time. You know, they're so devoted to it. Whereas you compare it to athletes back in the States or in Australia or Europe and, um, you know, they're struggling, working really hard, just as hard a lot of the time as those guys over in Africa. But then, uh, and, you know, a lot of the athletes in these developed countries earn comparatively quite a low wage compared to uh, their uh, counterparts who are just going through college and getting a job or even, you know, any full-time job in a lot of countries will get you a wage that's significantly higher than what you can earn through uh, athletics unless you're right up the top. Yes. So unless you're li- unless you're literally there, unless you're literally in the top maybe 15 to 20 in your event mm. in the world yeah. in the world. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's a it's yeah. I, I guess similarly to Kenya, most people in Ethiopia would be earning somewhere between 500 and 1000 dollars per year. Um, yeah. very yeah, ru- no, very roughly very low very roughly so as you pointed out to go to Europe or the US and, and win a race which I guess many races are, have a 10,000 US dollar prize money or, or, or more um, even let's just say it's 10,000 US dollars mm. that, that can be 10 to 20 years of income and if you compare that to someone from the States who's, who's earning you know, <laughs> $80,000 a year that's the equivalent of earning you know, eight hundred thousand to one point six million in a race. Um, so it's yeah, it's, it's to, to, for, for the American to go and have the motivation to to, to win a ten thousand dollar race. Of, of course, ten thousand dollar payday for for someone from the West is is is, is awesome too. But it's it's very different in perspective. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of them, you know, their families are very poor, and their potential success could take their whole family out of a t- very tough position. Yes, exactly. So there's a lot more factors motivating them over there, I think. Yep. I think also take the, I mean, we, we've covered the financial point, which is very true. Uh, I think, uh, and this isn't just individual to to Africans, but just their group mentality is, is huge too. Um, of mm. course, there's strong groups in, in Europe and in the US and all other countries, but I don't know, there seems to be this sort of slightly different motivation in some of those groups in Kenya and Ethiopia where they, they, they can really, really push together. I'm not, I'm not sure how to even put that into words, but it's, it's definitely something to point out. Yeah, I mean, you walk down the street in, through Kenya and I, I've been with people and they'll just be walking along and pointing out all the people who are top runners and it's something that is really prestigious and well-respected over there. And, I mean, I, I think you saw the footage coming out of Eldoret when Elliot was doing the Ineos Challenge. Yeah. There was uh, many, many thousands of people just in the city centre going wild. So It was amazing. It's run, you know, these are running nations and running plays such a huge role over there. Yep, absolutely. Cool. Okay, we'll move on to the next question. We've only got a few, a few more here. 
uh, we picked the, the better questions out that we thought we could answer best. Um, uh, a bit of information about the attitude and training structure of the group. Now, you wrote a very good article. This is probably one of our most viewed articles about the attitude and training structure of Kipchoge's group. Um, very good read, uh, had many shares, and I thought we could try and sort of do a similar one with with Kennedy Sabakile's training group because although he wasn't there, we, we got a good feel for the attitude and sort of the structure of the group. The coach is a... Uh, Mersha Azrat is is is, a, is certainly a character. We 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 got we got along with him very very well, and he's a. I guess we can talk a bit about him because he's a he's a real he's a real hero. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, in my head, I'm just drawing a lot of parallels between the groups. Really, uh, Kipchoge has been training with Patrick Sang for a long time, and he's a definitely a character and someone who is very well respected and inspires all the runners there. And it was very cool to spend time with Mersha and watch him interact with all these guys, you know, some of his top athletes that were training whilst we were there. Uh, you knew, I, I can't recall his last name at the moment, but he's you know, a very um, well-accomplished 5,000, 10,000-meter runner. He's one of you the knew, top athletes you in the training. Alam, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's Alam Miru. Alam Miru, yeah. Yeah, so watching him um, with Yunu and some of the other top guys, but then also with a lot of the up-and-coming junior guys. Um, it was really cool to see how he engaged with the group and how they were all so uh, respectful. And, you know, before the session, they'd all gather and listening so attentively to him. Um, the groups, generally, that you know, everyone was very tight. They spent a lot of time together, and training is obviously such a huge part of their life and a focus. So they um, obviously are very a tight-knit group, and it was cool to see them all getting on so well and having a lot of fun with it, but also pushing themselves very, very hard when it came down to the sessions. Um, I mean, it, we also spent quite a bit of time with Mersha outside of training. So we went to a number of sessions with him and the group, but then you know, he invited us to celebrate Christmas Day with him. So Ethiopia is predominantly an Orthodox Christian country and they celebrate Christmas. Uh, their Christmas Day is January 7th. And so Mersha invited us to join him at his family home with the other Greek athletes that we mentioned before and then a bunch of his uh, group and then his family. Uh, and that was a a really amazing experience uh, ended up you know we he, he came to meet us with blood on his fresh looking nike tracksuits because he just slaughtered a cow <laughs> um, <laughs> and the the focus of the meal for christmas day was raw beef that he and all of the athletes got stuck into um and then you know, he was very insistent on us trying some of the local liquor and we ended up in one of his favourite bars just around the corner that night. Um, it was, 
yeah, very, very cool experience spending yeah. that time with him. And he had expressed quite a lot of interesting views to us, um, just little things, you know, like he was he was having a pretty good time that night and <laughs> insisted that, you know, it's important that the athletes are allowed the freedom to cut loose every now and then and, you know, just reset and de-stress a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the time with Mersha and that group. Absolutely. Was, yeah, cool to see the dynamic within the group. I, I really appreciated – I didn't spend, uh, I guess, the time that you did. You were lucky enough to have a pretty lengthy chat with Patrick Sang when you were in Kenya, and I, and I, I was not there. But uh, in Ethiopia, we obviously, as you said, spent quite a bit of time with Mersha, and what I really appreciated about him was how like open he was to new ideas, even though he was training some of the best athletes in the world. Mm. Um you know, one time at a track session, which we'll talk about the specific track session in a moment, that one of his athletes or a few of his athletes were really tiring towards the end. And he was, I think one of us, uh, I think it was me, but you also said something about, are they consuming any carbohydrates before or during? And he, he was really curious about, about that after that, even though he, you know, he knew, he knew that that was required, but at the same time, he was sort of like wanting to know if we knew anything that he didn't about how he could how he could improve in that in that regard um yeah uh, I, I recall the the strategy that he mentioned was that yeah most of the time these guys are doing pretty intense workouts with zero calories and um no carbohydrates no electrolytes taken in during the workout um and then he'll start to introduce a bit of nutrition coming up to the <coughs> excuse me <coughs> coming up to the races um, and that when they're racing with nutrition, it then uh, changes the perceived exertion compared to when they're training at altitude with no calories and yes. no electrolytes being taken in. Yep. But yeah, he was definitely interested to get our opinion on that, um, our somewhat uninformed opinion, I would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but just keen to hear what, we thought about it and getting our opinion on it. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned before um, with, with um, Minos and yeah. that, that session, if yep. you want to tell yeah. that story. So, so one of the Greek guys that we got quite um, good friends with that, that we still are in contact with is uh, uh, Gioros Minos, uh, who's a distance runner from, from Greece. So he was there with a couple of other guys from Greece training with the group. Um, and, uh, Minos told us about, and I saw some video footage of, and, and some photos of him actually instructing the group in two different sessions. One was like a sort of a dynamic, uh, warm up routine. And so he was in the middle of this group full of runners far better than him in terms of better, in terms of, you know, times put on the board. Uh, Minos from memory, I, I apologize in, in advance, Minos, if I haven't got these times correctly, but he, he's roughly a, a 70 minute half marathon runner at 31 at 10k runner and he's run a pretty good steeplechase so he's obviously a obviously a strong runner but nowhere near the level of some of the guys he was instructing who have run you know 60 61 half marathons and 20 27 28 minute 10ks um minos was in the middle of this group uh teaching them different drills and dynamic uh warm-up routines and that's something that mercia was uh, all about um minos also took them to to a gym session that i attended as well and was teaching them some some gym, uh, some strength routines from 
uh, from what he had learnt uh, in his time training in Greece. And of course, Mercer was always there overlooking to make sure that he sort of understood it and agreed with it. So it wasn't like he was just throwing Minos there and and and, and not, not really taking any supervision. But uh, I guess the point of this is we were, we were super impressed of how at how open Mercer was to new ideas, and he certainly was not you know egotistical at all, thinking he knew it all, and uh, mm. everything he was doing was exactly right. He he almost had the opposite vibe that even though he was a very that confident, uh, seemingly confident man with uh, obviously full of wisdom, incredibly intelligent. He was also at the same time very open to new ideas and, and he was freely admitting almost, <laughs> not exactly word for word, but he was basically saying, you know, I'd love to learn more. Yeah. And I, I sort of recall that, you know, a lot of the, the sessions he was discussing, like he sort of mentioned that in a way that they were all just a bit of experimentation and he was... You know, he's very much still tinkering and trying to figure out what the best uh, formula is and the best sessions to do and in what order leading up to the different races. So. Yep, and it sounds like he, he got that pretty close to correct just before Berlin Marathon this year. <laughs> yeah, well, um, given that he told you what uh, Bikile trained consistently for six weeks? Uh, it was eight leading weeks. Up, eight weeks. Yes. So there was a lot of uh, – we spoke about this briefly on the podcast episode before this, uh, the Ineos Challenge podcast, but um, after Berlin Marathon uh, this year, so about a month ago now, when Bikili ran the second fastest time ever officially, uh, not including Kipchoge's times at the, at, the, uh, at the sort of stage races he's been at, uh, 201.41, uh, there was a lot of rumors yeah. going around that Bikili trained for six weeks before, and, and I thought, well – I do, I, you know, I, I knew that he he is obviously incredibly talented. It's hard to find anyone more talented. Uh, I questioned if that was legit because that's such a short amount of time, especially for a marathon. Um, yeah. But I did ask uh, Mersha via mess via text the how long he trained. My, my my phrasing exactly was how long did Bikili train consistently for, and he answered uh, eight weeks. And he put a, a few exclamation marks after the eight weeks, sort of <laughs> indicating that he was excited for what he could do if he put a bit more, bit more together. Um, reasoning for such a short lead up, uh, we're not clear, but I do know just again purely from rumours, so nothing confirmed. Um, Bikili does have some, uh, from from what I've heard, a little bit of a motivational issue on and off, um, and, and I think that's due to a few reasons. I think one. Um, he's he's very financially well off already. Obviously, he's he's done so well on the track in the last two decades. Uh, he's got a lot of businesses now that he's involved in, so he's probably quite busy like that. Uh, and it, also, he's suffered from a lot of injuries in the last five or six years. So, uh, I've heard from different people. I don't think Mercia said this word for word, but I, I believe he he has been through periods where he's not sure if he'll continue much longer. Um, and I think that's probably mainly due to the injuries. Uh, but, yeah, which would just be so frustrating. Yeah, but it sounded like yeah. he, again, so he was injured when we were there. Uh, I know for sure he was injured and slightly overweight in May, only four months before Berlin. I heard that mm. from someone that was there in, in Ethiopia, who I, who I won't name, but um, only four months after May, he, he ran the second fastest time ever. So he obviously... <laughs> He obviously found yeah. found some motivation and, and and strung together eight weeks of consistent training, and that's what that's what came out. Mm, and you've never seen so someone, someone so despondent after <laughs> running a 
Two oh one forty one. He was he was devastated. <laughs> oh, that was that was funny. Um, well, you know, not obviously not not funny for him, but it was funny. It's funny to watch. Uh, but um, yeah, I think we'll we'll move on to the to the last question to wrap up the podcast episode. Um, the last question we were we were asked, which we which I liked, so I included on here was. Um, please talk a little bit about the training sessions that Bikili was doing. So we've written a couple of articles about this, but one of the, one of the better ones, which has had, had a lot of viewing is, um, an article called Kennedy and Bikili for key marathon workouts. So some people criticize, you know, <laughs> uh, sweat elite from time to time about posting just the highlights of elite training. Um, I, I understand that viewpoint. And at the same time with most of the top athletes, uh, elite athletes that we've covered, there is a thorough explanation of their training in, in, in the, on the website if you dig into the articles more. This this article is about more about his, I wouldn't call it highlights, but you know his specific key sessions, and um, we will talk a little bit about that about that now. So we, we joined in on four uh, key workouts that Mersha told us they uh, do repeat quite a lot. Um, so the first one was a huge one. It was 17 kilometers worth of intervals on the track. Consisting of two times three k, three times two k, five times one k, with a two hundred meter jog recovery between the repetitions and a four hundred meter jog recovery between the sets. So three k jog two hundred meters, three k, and then jog four hundred meters, and then and so on. Um, that was uh, that was a that was a that's a that's a long workout, uh, especially to be running it at marathon pace or faster. And with no calories, or, yeah, yeah, not not taking in any energy through that run. That was the workout that you just that we spoke about just before. That a couple of his his athletes were struggling a little bit in the last few k's, and we questioned about their carb intake. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, what else did we? You, maybe you can discuss or, or sorry share some of the other sessions that we were at. Yeah. So another one was. Uh, on the track again so eight times 2k uh, 2000 meter repetitions with a 200 meter jog recovery Uh, the pace for these is you know generally a little bit under six minutes Uh, but you know with that altitude it's pretty pretty impressive to be going at that pace 2700 meters elevation um, what is what was that? Nine thousand feet. This so this was on Kennedy Sibikili's Tartan track as well in Salta. Um, mm. These workouts. So yeah, you can assume that's a, a good ten seconds per kilometer slow uh, up there. So yeah, it's probably the equivalent of a five five forty per two k or something like that. Five forty five. Um, if it was at sea level, that is. So yeah, eight times two k. That's a bit of a mentally grinding, challenging workout that they that they did. Um, from time to time, uh, another one was twenty-five times four hundred. Yeah, with a one-minute minute recovery. Yep. Um, and I think they were doing those. What roughly you knew was doing them in about sixty-seven or sixty-eight yeah. seconds. He was coming back from oh. an injury and not not anywhere near full fitness. But um, he he would uh, Mersha did tell us that he would normally do them in about sixty-three, sixty-four up there at. At, at, at altitude yeah and so 25 that's 10 k's worth of reps <laughs> at, uh, at that pace. 
63 to 64, that's 240 per K, so it's pretty close to 10K pace. Yeah. Um, yeah, 25 by 400 in one minute. And the final one that we joined them on, we joined them on a few workouts, but these are the four sort of ones that we would call key sessions. Um, five times 4K with a one-kilometer float recovery. Now, I don't think you were there for that. I think that's when you went off to the Koji, but um, yeah. uh, that wasn't on the track. That was on uh, a road. And uh, that was very close to their marathon goal pace with the one kilometer float recovery about 30 to 40 seconds slower than goal pace. So a very, I guess, Renato Canova style workout, um, high volume, long repetitions at, at goal marathon pace with a float recovery at not too much slower. Uh, Minos told me that he, he tried to do that and obviously he wasn't running with them, but he, he said that was extremely challenging at, at altitude. <laughs> yeah. Do you know where that one was? Uh, I don't recall the name of the town. But yeah, it was... Is it Sabeta? That, that's one of the areas, yeah, I think, that they I... go out for the flat, longer runs. I think that one is a bit lower down, though. Yeah, so... That, so that I don't think that's where they did this one, because where they did this one was closer to 3K elevation. Because um, yeah. I remember Minos telling me that it was it was so challenging because of the elevation. But yeah, Sabeta is a, is a very um, popular place that did long tempo runs. It's where Farah does a lot of his long tempo runs. It's about an hour drive from memory from Salulta. Yeah. Um, Zane Robertson does a lot of work down there as well. Uh, but this workout was, uh, I, I don't recall the name of the place, but it was, it was a very small area and it was, it was a bit higher. But um, Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, if you want to see some cool photos from Sabeto, you can look on uh, Morton and then Mo Farah's Instagram. There's a couple scattered through there, but... Some really cool shots of him just hammering out along this road with mud huts in the background. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, we've covered all the questions answered, so I really appreciate you joining today, Tate. And just quickly, um, as I mentioned before, you've been one of the, I guess, probably the, the main writer for Sweat Elite. I guess people are curious uh, to know, um, what's your running background and what are you, what are you currently doing outside of outside of running? Of course I know, but I just want to share it with the listeners yeah okay um so my running background is far from anything too elite uh, i was pretty uh into it during high school just middle distance track um, 1500 3k cross country uh, and then after finishing school i've i took a couple of years off um from doing any running i Spent quite a bit of time traveling and then started studying medicine um, and then took another year off and that's when I joined you in Kenya with uh, when we spent the time with Kipchoge and I guess that's definitely got me back into running. <laughs> <laughs> what, a way to, what a way to reintroduce you to running. <laughs> I know, I know. But coming into that time with Kipchoge, I'd been uh, cruising through Central America surfing so I was very unfit <laughs> leading up to Kenya. Um, but yeah, now I'm studying medicine at, uh, on the Gold Coast in Australia, and I'm actually in exams right now and about to finish and take another year off to travel and you know hoping to link up a couple times with you, um, maybe another trip back to Ethiopia potentially, uh, maybe in maybe yeah, in March if it's work, if it works yeah, out. Is, yeah, but and in the meantime, just finishing exams and then riding my bike around the world for a year before <laughs> finishing off med. <laughs> awesome. No, thanks for sharing. And as I said, I, I'm not a 
I'm not a writer myself and uh, I, I definitely uh, <laughs> we definitely produce a lot more a lot better content when you, when you come along on the on the trips with, with with me and you're able to observe and properly write what you what we experience so um, plenty more to come I hope and as Tate pointed out um, it's a it's it's definitely a, an idea of a of ours to go to Ethiopia again in in March if uh, won't give too much away, but if it links up with uh, some of the top Ethiopian runners training towards a certain a certain marathon, um, of course, no no uh, confirmations yet, but that's the that's the draft plan at the moment. So, if that works, then in a few months' time, I guess four, we'll uh, we'll we'll be in Ethiopia again to do another project. Yeah, looking forward to it. And we um, also thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, no worries. Sorry, just quickly, we also had the idea of uh, of going to Japan at some point, which I quite yes. liked, and we haven't we haven't properly map that out but it would be it would be pretty cool yeah Knox Robinson uh, gave us a bit of inspiration for that actually whilst we were in Salta so yeah definitely something to think about doing yep. given that we'll both be a bit more free next year yeah absolutely cool thanks again for joining and uh, appreciate everything that Tate's written and we've referenced a number of articles there if anyone wants to check them out uh, the links will be on the website to, to those cool thanks Tate right, too easy thanks Matt